You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father God, thank you that we are able to gather again on, on a Sabbath, on a, on a Sunday, to hear your word, uh, to prepare our hearts for the meaning of the Incarnation uh, through song and prayer and scripture. And we give thanks for our church and for the, the body of believers you've, you've anchored here in Birmingham around uh, this fellowship. And we pray for it. We, we pray for our future uh, and for the present uh, to be wise about the future uh, and that we can learn what, what love is in a, in a deeper way, perhaps, uh, through these uh, explorations. In Christ's name, I ask it. Amen. Hey, come on in. Um, so I did. I put a lot of neat slides up here uh, to try to, uh, to, to provoke a question. What about love? Gil actually thought that was clever because it's the title of a song from the 1980s, and he thought it sounded funny. I said most people won't get the reference, which you don't. But uh, that, that's, that's kind of where the title came from. What is love? What about love? What do we mean when we, use a, when we talk about a concept like love? And then how do we get on a topic like this? Why do you choose a topic like this? Well, in the Christian context, there seems to be an almost obviousness to it, right? God is love. Uh, we'll get to that in the ser- over the course of the series, <laughs> what, what, what exactly that means, because that's a loaded statement as well. If you pause and think about it, it's the only active verb associated with God. God is something. But you think about a concept like love, and it falls in that strange category of what we would call metacons, justice. What is justice? What is beauty? Right? What is truth? Um, Love falls conceptually in that sort of uh, range of, of thought because it's something we take for granted as part of our persons. It's something that's just sort of wo- woven into our nature. We want it. We desire it. We, we don't always know what the object of it is, but even from a young age, you can remember the first kind of feelings toward your family. Uh, the first feelings of affection toward your family, or the first, <laughs> maybe even more powerfully, those first feelings of affection for the first time outside of your family, right? Those can be quite powerful as as well as a young person. But I, I've thought about this a lot. I actually am thinking about doing a little bit of writing on this myself, because at the base of it, that what, what, what led me to think about this, this question, and has for several years, is the extent to which the concept, the idea, is used in our culture to justify almost anything. Let me, let me, let me back it up a little bit. It's, it's, a, it's a concept that if you can do something in the name of love, what are the limits of love? Let me try one more time. Can anything be justified by the idea of love? If you love something, and if you're not harming someone, can you do whatever you want to do and say, well, I did it because I love, right? Is that making any sense at all, that if we can use this idea this way? What does that mean? And the other thing that kind of led me to think about it, it is one of the most overused words in English. 
All right. Think about the number of times you say, I love him or her. Now, I don't mean like I love him or her like I'm taking a wedding vow. I'm talking about like, oh, I ran into Mary the other. Oh, I love Mary, <laughs> you know, or I, I ran into so and so. Oh, I, I love that guy. You know, think about how often we use casually this phrase that's just loaded with meaning. Right. Um, or I love blank. Right. And then I, I picked images. I don't, these are not reflections of everything I love, but um, actually, I suppose I could, right? Um, <laughs> my subconscious is just laid out there, now, right? I mean, there's nothing to hide. That, that's it, right? Uh, we love puppies. I, I love that movie. I love that uh, that sports team, you know, or that house. I hear that a lot, you know, my wife and her friend. Oh, I love that house, you know. What does that mean, right? An object can't reciprocate love. But people can. So there's something going on there in the way we're using this, the way we overuse this expression, right? As a as a kind of affection, a kind of effective behavior towards something. Um, so think about that. Think about the casualness with which it's used. Think about what it can be used to justify, but also think about all the pop cultural... Please, again, you can fill in your own list. This is only a reflection of my imagination. Um, of, Of pop culture... Fictional references to love, right? People that are in love that we're supposed to, we, we know them by their love for each other, right? And their characterization. Um, right, Lois Lane, Romeo and Juliet. I, it's both high culture and low culture. You're Kermit the Frog uh, and Miss Piggy. I, I had to look that up. They actually are in love. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know if he, she just loved him, but uh, apparently the frog loves her back. Um, Lancelot. Uh, and Guinevere, Ross and Rachel from the 90s, remember that? Nobody's nodding. Okay, I never... Uh, Jim and Pam from The Office, right? Homer and Marge. <laughs> um, you see it. Oh, uh, Mr. Darcy. Uh, Mr. You look up Mr. Darcy. I know, he's you know, the ideal man, Mr. Darcy. Um, Mickey and Minnie, and of course, Rhett and Scarlet. You can add to the list in your own imagination. It doesn't take much, right? Um, but, but we're inundated with the idea of romantic love as a kind of art, archetypal references to what love is supposed to be. It saturates our imagination. And it does it both in high and, and low culture. It does it in great literature of the past, all the, back to the Iliad, you know, uh, the love Hector has for Andromeda, his wife, uh, the, through the Odyssey. Um, you could almost argue that uh, uh, the great quest of Odysseus to get back to Penelope is one long love story. You know, it just saturated the, the, um, the Iliad, the Odyssey, the Aeneid, Dido, the story of Dido, and all the way through uh, medieval literature and the rise of romantic love. It saturates our imagination, probably nowhere more so if we don't read a lot. <laughs> uh, music. Music. Uh, love is, it, it, it's everywhere in pop music. Uh, how many titles can you think of with, lo- with love in it? How many uh, song titles with love in the title? Yeah. Just, you know, you don't have to shout them out. But, I mean, I bet you can do it pretty quickly. Right? Or with love in the lyrics. Right. 
there is this uh, sort of obsession with this idea, right? There's an obsession with this idea. Why? What is it? How do you think about it, not just as a person, but as a Christian, in the Christian context? We all know the Sunday school answer is Jesus. So we could punch that card and head out. I mean, right? But, but, but I think we're also probably called to wrestle with it, wrestle with what that means when we, we say that. If we say the object of our love is Christ or Christ is the origin of love, we're, we, we should wrestle with that. Let me offer, uh, but I just need to know, did you think of a song? Just did anybody think of Of course, good. Automatically, didn't you, Robin? Yeah, okay. Um, simple definition. Let's, try, let's start with just a simple definition. So if you kind of exhaust dictionaries and, and, and public space with this question, love is an intense feeling of deep affection that can manifest in a variety of ways between people. Okay. Yes, sir. You know, Scott Peck, who wrote that book, um, um, not, not, what is it? Yeah, Road Less Travel. Oh, yeah. You know, he puts a definition out that has always stuck with me. It's different from this. That definition is um, that you're willing to um, give of yourself without any expectation for anything in return sure. for the benefit of another person. That, that's a much more sophisticated definition. Than that. <laughs> yeah. that issue of, yeah. I will sacrifice. Yeah. And see, nothing in return. And that's the question, right? Because that—that's th- the question: is how do you get to that kind of definition from this kind of definition? Oh, that's human love. That's right. Yeah. An intense feeling. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I think, as to what you had to say, Victor, uh, even though we don't have the expectation of getting something in return, I think we always do get something in return by helping someone or being part of their life. Uh, uh, so just, that's my feeling is, no that's matter right. what, that's right. uh, we'll give something back in return, the satisfaction. Already, just the, the fact this discussion is on the floor tells me this might be an important topic. <laughs> like, What do we mean by this reciprocating sacrifice, this idea of sacrifice that reciprocates? Or that, uh, that is it something more than deep affection, to, your, to Scott's point? Is that something um, even sustainable? This to definition? To love yeah. I would agree with that. <laughs> yes, and I believe a dog can be an object of love. I put him in my pictures. So. <laughs> yes, Victor. There's a song out now. I think it goes. I think the title is "I Like Me Better When I'm With You." Yes, we can all look that up on the way home. All right. Um, so notice I said simple definition. We'll go back there. Simple definition, an intense feeling of deep affection. But we also have established not just between people, it can be toward an object which can't reciprocate, right? Which that also may be a clue to how the Bible wants to instruct us about love as well. Okay? Um, so again, I'm taking this in these small pieces to try to build it into a composite here. 
A simple definition will launch from, as you, as, as several of you just pointed out, we're not going to stay here, though. I don't think we can stay here in light of the Christian message. Um, and I think that's exactly what you're pointing out. Let me offer two important considerations as we move forward in the series for those of us specifically living in this time and place. Two important considerations. Science. You heard that word lately? Science. The default arbiter of truth in the modern world struggles to explain love. Just just try. And those of you of a scientific bent or psychiatry, psychology, uh, modern uh, science in general, chemistry, it, the studies about love are reduced to what uh, what chemicals are involved, what you know, that brain scans and emo- reactions, etc. But science, it, with all of its goodness and, and benefits for us, has not been able to nail this one down, <laughs> and I, I would urge likely won't. It, it can tell us physical processes that describe what's happening, but it doesn't tell us what it is, right? Or it can, and, and we're not even sure what it measures per se. But a paradox to that, or a kind of weird congruity with that is, even though we default to science on so many questions, love as a concept has become, as well, the default measure of personal happiness and fulfillment in the modern world. If you don't have it, there's something missing, so to speak. Or if you don't have it the way you and your identity want to define it, there's something missing. So we have this paradox or this tension we live with in modernity that on the one hand, the very thing we defer to can't t- to tell us so much about our life, can't tell us what this thing is. And on the other hand, we want to use this very concept as the measure of all of our happiness. Am I loved? St. Augustine, when he went away to college uh, in Carthage, uh, he in, in, it's book three of the confessions uh he says i i was in love with the idea of love Uh, that whole book is about the problem of i'm going to talk about that next in the series about next week but he says this idea of love itself and that was in four the 480s 470s okay bc The, the idea of as a concept a default measure of fulfillment and happiness, and we all know what we mean when we hear the phrase, all you need is love. It, it's a kind of um, default, de facto uh, catch-all for if you want to be happy, if you want to be content, this is what you have to have. And here's the strangeness of this. I think this is partly right. I think the power of this kind of appeal is in that it it's partly right. It's not completely right, but it's partly right. Depending on what you mean by love. All you need is love, of course. And is that true? Is that true? If all we need is love, what is it? Right? If all we need is that, if that is the measure of happiness, what is it? And two other suggestions moving forward in the in the reflection on this is love in scripture is more than personal fulfillment or happiness which you guys are already pointing out it's got to be more than that right but 
if you've talked to people outside of the church or you pay attention to cultural trends, you might not get that message. This might be it, right? Love is simply fulfillment and happiness. And love is also something more than meeting our duty and obligations. I think that's a trickier one to try to tease out because duty and obligations matter. But that's not necessarily the highest expression of love either, the fact that you meet your duty at a most minimum. Okay. And so finally, again, wading into the, the swimming pool a little bit, just a simple offering to the conversation you were having a minute ago. Without God as its author and interpreter, love is not a basis for either action or affection. Okay? In other words, love cannot be an object of itself. Love has to have an object that makes sense of what it is, that demands or commands our actions and our affections to one another. So in basic terms, love is a validation of human existence. It could be. It could be, but even in validating human... I mean, from a human's perspective, yeah, yeah. people seek love to validate their, their existence matters. That's right. From God's perspective, love is a sacrifice because existence matters. No, no, that's good. That's good. I mean, ultimately, yes. I think you're right. Other thoughts on that? I, I hope this is trending to where the conversation was a minute ago. So. Well, I think it's like in the sense that God didn't need us, and he created us to participate in the fellowship of the Trinity. And that was an act of love. It wasn't for him. It was for us. Good. So I do think it, that's where it started. There's, there's a difference between what what love should be and then what it what it is. I, I, I think of human love as more along the lines of like a secret decoder ring, or it, it just illustrates something about us, something about mm. our desires. And I don't know how much it, it's a, that I actively can choose to love. So I yeah. That's a that's a great point. Now, that's a really good point. And I was, I was next in the series. I want to talk more about that the problem of the will, and and in that desire of love that tells us more about ourselves and what we desire. Yeah. So yeah, John. I was, I was okay. I, I like I like your definition. So actually, my wife and I have argued over this. No, <laughs> no, not love. <laughs> um, so I, if I'm allowed to say this, I have a frustration with the way the Bible presents love because the, the, the Bible the Bible always describes, or, or 99.9% of yeah. the time, describes love as what it does. And so we're accustomed to say love is sacrifice. What we mean is that love does sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. But it's very, the Bible's very vague. Ex- I mean, except for saying God is love. It doesn't, it says what love does, but it rarely says what love is let me i think that's a great point and let me let me try to get i, I do i actually i'm going to get to the bible on this one today but to I'm, make i'm uncomfortable with finding also yeah is affection yeah that's not what you said i mean i think validation approval affirmation of existence or being is somewhere yep at the behind what the bible is saying but it never really tells us something has to make sense of the concept besides the concept yeah right it can't just be circular well, we do, I think we can step back a little more and be abstract and say <laughs> affection can mean touch, but affection can also mean moving towards something. Yeah, 
Yeah, right. We, we could love our brothers in another country that, that are struggling with Christianity, and we can move our affection towards them without ever... It can be both a, both a desire and an activity. It can be both a... De- let, let's, look, let's look at this. The amount of times the word love is mentioned in the Bible depends on the translation of the Bible. Um, here are four. So I thought over the next couple hours we'd read through each one of these verses and make it... <laughs> And then, and everybody will be silent before the word. Uh, you, you can see the, the variations on this. Okay, so stepping back just a bit, and then I would uh, we'll close by actually turning to uh, the first instance of love in the Bible. Okay, that's where I want to take us with this. But stepping back just a bit, um, Christians, of course, weren't the first to discuss the idea of love, but Christianity changes the object. Of love, okay. Some of the earliest references to love are from the concept of eros out of uh, the Platonic world, the Platonic dialogue of the Symposium. He, and of course, it's our root word for the erotic. But uh, the, Plato in the Symposium and the dialogue of the Symposium has Socrates distinguish between vulgar or common eros. That's the attraction to beauty for physical pleasure. Okay. So eros and its common usage, and by common it means it's common to humanity. It's a common factor of humanity to be attracted to beauty for physical pleasure. And in, uh, in the dialogue he calls it the desires of the body rather than of the soul. Okay? Pre-Christian, okay? not a Christian uh, writing. But then the other kind of love, says Plato, is divine love. That we desire beauty for something else, something that transcends it. Beauty pushes us toward truth. Beauty drives us toward something more reflective. So when we see something beautiful, and and so the erotic can actually be something that moves us toward reflecting on the meaning of truth itself when we see something beautiful, okay? Very early, early definition that is going to be inherited in the Christian world, all right? There's another inheritance called philia, right? Philos, philia, Right, and uh, Plato says something about this, but not nearly as much as his uh, uh, his uh, student Aristotle. Uh, Aristotle defines philia as a kind of love as friendship. Okay, love as friendship. It's the it's the pursuit of friendship toward a kind of perfection, not simply utility or exchange, which we might have in the marketplace. And not simply friendship for the pleasure we, we receive from one another, but a kind of perfected understanding of, of, uh, of each other. It's, it's people of goodwill and virtue in, in discourse together. Okay? Not Bible, but inherited. All right? Pre, uh, Pre-Bible concepts. And you may, if you're, if you're on your... your on the ball this morning, recognize this is precisely the concepts that C.S. Lewis seizes upon when he writes his book in the mid-20th century called The Four Loves, okay? So Lewis, trained as a philologist, trained in classical philosophy, he, he writes this for Christians in the mid-20th century, and he seizes upon eros and philos, philia, but he adds a couple of others that develop. He adds a, a couple of other concepts, storge, Storge, which is the love, familial love between parents and children, and agape. Now, a couple of notes on that. You don't see these words used a lot 
in ancient literature at all. Agape is almost exclusively in Christian sources. Okay, I, I think there's one other extant instance of it that they've been able to, to identify. What's the point of all this? The point of all this is Lewis gives a nice paradigm for talking about love between affection, friendship, romance, and charity, or agape, right? And we'll be coming back to this next week as well, and in the closing session uh, a couple of weeks from now. What is affection? It's the people we're thrown together with in family, the college, the mess, the ship, and the religious house. It's our associations and the bonds of affection that grow out of it. Think about uh, in your work environment, for example, uh, you're probably not friends with everyone or your neighborhood but there's certain people you bond with that's what he means by that it's that bonding that takes place uh, and you don't necessarily know why but it's something that clicks something in common that allows you to have a kind of uh, social affection uh, with one another but it, it's also um it's also that, that love that the aunt has for the nephew or the child to the parent, right? Philia is similar. Uh, philia is the one in common. It, it's about something. Friendship is over something. Uh, see, Lewis believes this is the closest we'll experience to heaven, is, are these kind of bonds of affection with people we're not related to. Romance, of course, is the bond of a man and a woman. It's a picture of God's love for the world and Christ. Um, I, I love Lewis's quote on this one. In one high bound, it has overleaped the massive wall of our selfhood. It has made appetite altruistic. Tossed personal happiness aside as a triviality, triviality and planted the interest of another in the center of our being. He had just lost his wife, Joy, by the way, in the year after he, he wrote this book. And then, of course, charity or agape, which is where we're headed with all of this, is our chief aim the unconditional love the Father gave us through His Son, the affection and friendship of romantic love or the training ground of charity. Most of you are familiar with, maybe, with those categories, and it's a nice, it's a nice springboard into this topic. And, and we'll revisit it. And I, I think there's some really important categories here that you can tease through Scripture. But it's very Greek. <laughs> It's very Greek. In the first instance, and what I mean by that, it's very philosophical. It's very uh, sort of metaphysical. The first instance of love in the Bible is where I'd like to turn us to close today. Because it's the first, and I've arguably, as I studied this, transformative and most powerful thing I've read in a long time when I saw it this way. The first instance of love in the Bible, the first time it's ever used, this is going to shock you. It's in Hebrew. It's not in Greek. It is very Old Testament. The first time we encounter the word love, Ahava, is God's test of Abraham in Genesis 22. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. God tells, he, he, he uses, it's God using this word, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, 
sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. It's debated what Moriah is, but some think it's the Temple Mount, uh, etc. But um, the first mention of love in the Bible, I want to read. I want to read the whole passage here in a moment. Is in the context of a call to obedient sacrifice, guided by faith and hope. Um, so, just this is a. I think it's a startling. Uh, kind of conversation or reflection that can come out of this. Um, word studies are rarely helpful, <laughs> uh, but in terms of but but they're not always horrible either. But think about it. The first time we encounter the expression or the concept is in the context of, of a sacrifice, uh, and not just sacrifice. It's of promise. It's of the promise of redemption, not not just to Abraham, but but to the world. So here, here are the words. Um, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. We've all heard this story. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took his knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And then the angel called to him a second time and tells him, That the Lord says, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you obeyed my voice. The first mention of the word love is in the context of sacrifice in Scripture. 
And I went and looked at the Septuagint, as we do, and I said, okay, that's neat. How is it used in the Greek? And sure enough, agapeton and agapasas, agape, is how the Greek translates that Hebrew of beloved, my beloved, my only, beloved. And what is the point? From the first mention in Scripture, love is guided and this is the point for the next two sessions as well because again i don't just want to do a word study here but i don't think the scriptures are accidental (laughs) and i think we can trust them that when we wrestle with these concepts and the fact we find it in the con uh, in the context of sacrifice is a starting point which every one of you are pointing to for understanding love as not an object in of itself but as having its object somewhere else so for good. From its first mention in scripture, love is guided and controlled by faith and hope and the divine promise of blessing or God's love. Strangely enough, if you go to the chapter before, it's the conception, right? And then it's also the treaty with Abimelech. And if we really wanted to use some theological imagination, it's storge and philia right there with agape. It's family and eros that's all there in the story of Abraham, just as the promise is given. Um, God's love or agape makes all other kinds of love both possible and rightly ordered from the very first mention of the promise in uh, in the Bible. And so I'll end there, and next week I'd like to pick up, though, on the problem of disordered love and what it means when we lose this, this way, this promise of, of faith and hope as well. So, any thoughts or... Well, let's close in prayer. And, um, Father, thank you that uh, we, we can uh, search your word to understand um, this powerful concept better and to, to, to try to figure out what it means to order ourselves rightly according to your promises and faith and hope and how that affects every other relationship we have in our, in a, uh, whether it's erotic love or the love of our children, our family, or, or our friendships, that, that it's out of order without this starting point of sacrifice, faith, and hope and your promises. And we thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.